It's a cool show. December's tour dates in 20 seconds or less. On December 4th, we will allegedly be in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, have not been given a venue name for that yet, so feeling a little skeptical. Check back on our calendar. December 5th, Indianapolis at Hotel Tango. December 6th through the 9th, we'll be at Cincinnati at Go Bananas in Cincinnati. And December 10th, we'll be in Louisville, Kentucky at Butchertown Pizza Hall. All of these dates and ticket info can be found on mormonandthemethhead.com. She has the power to manifest her own reality. He has the power to poop without an enema. <laughs> You're listening to Mormon and the IBS Method. If you put a Mormon and a Method together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Uh, I want to start out with a funny story, but I feel like every time we try to start an episode with me telling a funny story, the story flops. Does that happen? When does that happen? I feel like Just, uh, it happens a lot. Oh, you mean, well, I, yeah, maybe. But maybe it's because I try to do it on our first take at recording episodes in the day. Mm, maybe. Maybe that's it. This. What story are you going to tell? I wanted to tell you about the time that I was driving around in a mobile meth lab with a friend of mine and he, uh, it was just a small RV and there was something wrong with the engine. This is so how I'm not a burn victim is beyond. There was something wrong with the engine of this RV that it would just die when you're driving it. And so it was all one piece, you know, it's very small. So he had taken the, you have the, the, the front seat and the passenger seat, and then he, and there was this mound where part of the engine came into, and he had removed all the casing to that. So kind of the engine, I could just reach my hand into the engine from the passenger seat. Cool. And he would, <laughs> he would shoot carburetor fluid, I think it was called. Well, in- is this some Mad Max shit? Did you put it in your <laughs> mouth and spit it out? Oh my God. Uh, this is while there's an active meth lab in the rest of the rv and it's all one piece you know what i'm saying i'm not it's it's not something you exited and got back into so while there's an active meth lab in the rest of the rv and then above they would cook meth while driving yeah they didn't just like put away the supplies and like stay well, so there's stationary like different stages. When they- there's you're extracting the ephedrine from the pills and then like the the active scary part is when it's in the pressure cooker so i don't mean when it's in the pressure cooker but there are supplies there's fucking red phosphorus in this rv okay and with an open hole straight to the engine straight to the engine sprays- and when he would shoot the carburetor spray in there a flame would come out often yeah this is Mad Max. And I'm in a passenger seat, and the arm, the hair is getting burned off my arms, and it would go pop, pop, and and uh, these kind of things cracked me up. Though I was just like, oh, "This is such a movie about tweakers." And so, at some point, we park, and right above where the seats were was a bed, and we're parked on the side of the road, and the cops come and knock on the doors and there's it's immediately obvious when you open the doors that this is a meth lab and this is the first time that i was like "Hmm, probably going to jail i've gotten caught in some shit some shit that i always got let out of because i really was never doing anything i was just there you know Uh but i was like i don't know how i'm gonna get out of this one and uh there's no being like i don't i didn't know this is happening here so uh he goes up and climbs into the bed and just let, he just says, shh. What? And just goes and climbs up into the bed. And then I uh, could hear them outside. I could hear dog. 
I could hear like uh, the dog might have not been real, but like in my head, I was imagining what's happening. And okay. what I'm imagining is happening is I don't know if you've ever seen cops stage for a raid, but I assume that that's what's happening out there because they were very aggressively knocking, aggressing harder. And then it was silent. And I'm like, okay, they're silent because they're going to do a raid. And so I thought, well, we're going to prison. He's definitely going to prison. I might f- wiggle out of this. And but- he's just and he's just right curled now? up up in the bed and so finally i sat up and he was a friend we didn't hook up anything like that i wasn't attracted to him but i like leaned up and was like uh did you want me to like suck your dick or something since uh you're probably going to prison and he <laughs> was asleep and was like shit thank you and then hopped down and started the rv and we drove away and uh, I think this is probably an old enough trick by this point that I can reveal this and hopefully not fuck over a bunch of uh, criminals. But what he had done was crawl up there and call the police and say that he saw a man chasing a woman with a gun six blocks away. And so the cops had left to investigate that. And then he just passed out because he's a fucking tweaker with no correct sense okay. of urgency. Okay, okay, because I was like, well, well, then what happened? Okay. So if I hadn't woken him up to they would have just the come back. Job, they would have just come back. Like, wow, we never found that poor woman. And so he just passed out for a minute, I guess, because the whole thing was probably 10 minutes. And then he was like, oh, fuck, thank you. And then hot, and then crawled back down. It was a bald guy who was always muttering to himself. And then just like crawled back down and then sprayed some carburetor fluid. You know, open pop, flames pop. to our face. And then we drove away. <laughs> and it took me a while to figure out what happened. And then he was like, oh, I just called it. Because we had done that, you know. Uh, he's like, I just called the cops. But I didn't hear him talking or anything. Right. It was very slick. Very, very slick. Uh, so that Jeez, was the time man. that I almost got busted. I thought you were going to do the lab. Breaking Bad uh, uh, tip. We're like, all you have to say is that you live here. That this is your domicile. And then they can't That was enter. one thing that went Breaking Bad because it was first season, right? And yeah. I was like, holy shit. Because I have been in the mobile meth lab. I lived in that fucking thing. Did you know about that trick? Or were you like, fuck, we could have used that the whole time? That wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It was very small and there was no way to open that door without them seeing exactly what the fuck was happening. And so it was kind of out of character. I don't think they ever, in Breaking Bad, they didn't open the door because Walt was inside. That was the big deal. Oh, and he was yelling through. Yeah, that is pretty smart. Uh, This guy probably was resourceful enough for this. I don't even think this dude ever went to jail. He was pretty slick. Um, But... Yeah, it was just, but just the fact that he fell asleep. Like, that's how funny tweakers are, is that great idea. That's not the first time I have seen that used, but uh, then to pass out immediately. Why do tweakers, why make meth mobile? Why do that? Just finding a place to cook it is a pain in the ass. So at one point, I, uh, a boyfriend who's no longer with us and me. uh, Do you not ever want to say his name? I guess not. Okay. Um, boyfriend for most of the time that I was doing meth uh, killed himself later. And uh, we'll call him Tom. I'm always afraid to do that because I'll forget yeah. the name later. But you're very good at it. I'm not. Yeah. I felt like we could have done better, but Tom it is. Tom's also my dad, dad's name. But um, we moved in his sister's house at one point and uh because when we first got together uh my friend had given me that triplex so i had a triplex for the whole first year and there was a policy there no cooking meth and because it's it fucks up the it fucks up the house besides the fact the risk of blowing up the house it is very the chemicals are very damaging to everything around it so that was like the one deal i made with the guy who was nice enough to give me three apartments was i was like i won't let anyone cook meth here and they did it anyway but Wow. Yeah, I was about to I was just about to be like, Man, you're great, Jess, but then they did cook Remember it the in. story where uh I came home and there was incense in the mailbox burning and yeah. I was like, What kind of fucking idiot? Yeah, so they were trying to cook meth that time. I did stop it, but um we move into his sister's basement after that house, I think. And she's completely normal person. And we're trying to pretend to be normal for a few minutes. It's Probably pretty quickly obvious. Probably a very ec- excellent estimate of how long you were able to pretend yes, to be Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but I was entertaining. I was, just, She would love to sit and talk to me. for Like I would talk alien stuff and whatever, and she would go with it. But 
she went out of town for a week and we got talked into using the house not really talked into someone was like i'll give you an ounce of meth if you it was a lot of meth uh let us cook a couple batches here and our idea was like we'll watch them cook it and learn how to cook meth and then be able to we'll have that skill set you know it's a great skill set to have so I'm pretty sure that they hid at least one. I think I, I know basically how to cook meth, but I'm almost positive that I'm missing one key thing because it, it it felt like the guy was trying to misdirect at one point. But anyway, they cooked a couple batches and sister came home early. And, uh, or we thought she was going to come home at a different time. Anyway, we get notified that she's on her way home from the airport and we are frantically trying to get everything put away mm-hmm. and uh the whole kitchen's yellow i just i go upstairs and some and realize that the entire kitchen is stained yellow there are a couple things there's red oh, phosphorus th- oh. and also uh iodine involved i don't know what happened but the linoleum just had a yellow tint to it her trash can had had stuff dumped into it. So the entire trash can was yellow on the inside. Like it had been filled with iodine and the side of the fridge was yellow. And I don't know if it was just cause my, cause your brain is fucked after being around those chemicals for a few days. I don't know if it really was or what, but the only thing that would clean it up was a- uh, acetone. So I had was just taking, which was like fingernail polish remover, but on a way bigger scale. Okay. So I was pouring it onto rags and just slopping it everywhere. The next morning, uh, well, then as there's still a batch cooking. Oh, geez. And uh, I remember as she is, I have stopped her at the door and she's trying to get inside. Tom is running down the stairs with a pressure cooker in his hands. Um, I had aggressively cleaned the kitchen with acetone. So it smelled weird. And I was just like, I spilled a thing of fingernail polish remover. Sorry. (laughs) A very big thing. I, for the rest of the time that I lived there, was on top of the garbage. And I just put black trash bags in it. So she never noticed that her trash can was completely... It was a white plastic trash can. It was completely like orange-yellow on the inside. She never knew because I changed the trash bag every time. Wow. Um, The next morning... (laughs) Here's the thing about acetone is it never stops. It's a chemical reaction that never stops or something. So it never, it, once it's dry, it's still doing whatever it is that acetone does, like eating the uh, glue off of fucking linoleum. I don't know. So the next morning, I come upstairs and his sister's just standing in the kitchen, staring at the floor. And all of the squares of linoleum in the kitchen have curled up on the corners. So the whole floor is now this weird texture. It's linoleum flowers yeah, that have like curled up and are barely stuck to the floor. And she's just like, what? She's so naive or nice or I don't know. She was just like, what? Trusted you. And I was like, man, they do not build them like they used to. (laughs) (laughs) Shoddy craftsmanship, huh? (laughs) Why are they yellow? Uh, (laughs) So that's my other... But so it fucks up houses like that. So it's just... So I uh, get, yeah. Or if you're homeless, I think he was homeless and it was just easier to cook it on the road. But cooking it on the road is if someone starts to get hip that you're cooking meth in you your house, you have to move or whatever. So this is just like you could do it on the road. I don't think it was a very good business plan mm. personally. Because uh, yeah. it looked like someone's cooking meth in there. Does it look like, you know, at least buy a new uh, RV that doesn't look like it's designed to cook do meth. you know people that blew up? Did anybody ever blow up in Portland while cooking? I don't think I personally knew anyone. I think I met people who had been burned, like who had burns on them and stuff. But, and I uh, feel like there were so many peripheral characters that people ask me about all the time. And like, I remember the very specific people that were like a daily part of my life. And uh, I've lost a lot of the other stuff. When I get together with people I used to get high with, I'm like, oh God, I forgot about that guy. And I forgot about that guy. And I forgot about that guy. Mm. Um. I noticed that about meetings and stuff like Christy and I were getting together and she was like, Oh, so-and-so had this happen. And I was like, I don't remember for my friends whole, from recovery. Yeah. If they weren't like, they were once someone who I saw every week at meetings, but if they did, if I didn't build a lot of memories with them, my brain just yeah. dumps them. Huh? Well, speaking of forgetting things, we were going to finish talking about 
pain as a roadmap yeah rather than something to run from but something to use to search for or as i like to say pain is a roadmap i've been doing this all night yep all night i can't believe it took me this long uh look this long to think of it really jess has been talking about this for like a week now as pain is a roadmap right jessa You've talked before about safe spaces and we've talked about, you know, we like them as an idea. Uh, you know, it's nice to think about other people and, you know, not offend them or, right. or hurt them or trigger them. But like us and our own individual triggers, you said, don't run, don't run from what uh, hurts you. You once told me that you saw like red flags attached to things that hurt you that you're like things that told you labeled it like yep. this is what like this feeling that you're feeling and it was you know like a little red flag that would go up like like an aunt like a trigger yep that would say, but it was it would tell you what it was I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you I remember think, saying that to me? So what uh, my understanding of your nervous system is that pain, physical pain is designed to tell you where a piece of your machinery needs to be addressed. So it's a check engine light. And when you look at pain like that, that's really fascinating uh, in the approach that we take to medicine. But that's uh, a subject for another podcast that isn't ours. Um. And I believe that pain is exactly that. I believe it's a check engine light. I believe when you get triggered, I love that we are now so consciously aware of being triggered. I don't think that it's that it's a sign of something you're supposed to avoid. So like, oh, that triggers me. Cool. Now you know where the check engine light is. Not... Uh, that triggers me. Let's never talk about that again. Let's never do this thing again because it triggers me. You get triggered and it's like, oh, hey, there's a piece of you that needs healing. Uh, let's explore that a little bit. Let's go back and look for, and there's obvious things. Like if you're a rape victim and someone talks about rape and it's triggering, uh, I've talked about watching people shoot up or vape clouds triggering drug feelings they don't make me want to get high, but I just, I feel them connect to a place in my history. And I think that so many people are being triggered by love things, uh, relationship things, connections with other people, uh, family pain, stuff like that. And I think that all of those triggers uh, were trying to heal something, our inner child or whatever. And I think that that's what they are. They are a roadmap. I, I've always been someone who thinks a lot about my thoughts and thinks a lot about my feelings and thinks a lot about everyone else's feelings. And something we, I think, mentioned on the Patreon episode last week was that uh, I learned that not everyone was doing this and that... A lot of people don't, but I do it all the time. And so like you've recently come up with a really big, like a big pain that took you to a really big piece of like you followed this map all the way to your inner child. Right. I still haven't done that. I think I just made, you know maybe got started on that path and have some clues that are pointing towards it. Uh, but I ha I've, I've been kind of hiding from it. Like I haven't been ready to chase it down. I do think that people are, you can hide from your triggers if you want to, you know, like if you're not ready for it, sure. Don't, but uh, yeah, don't, you just shouldn't see that as your only course of action. Exactly. I think, I think that, uh, we, we sometimes get messages that are like, you're supposed to run from it. Like they, that's, that's, that's the only thing that you, Oh, you get triggered, shut it down. Don't right. go there. Right. Uh, and, uh, 
That's but that that's one option, right? So I wasn't re- had been ready to go down certain avenues until only recently. But I've always been interested in my thoughts, and I would do these little tiny mini roadmaps, right? Where I would think about like, why am I upset today? What's my problem? And I would think about it, like, when did I get upset? When she said that, why did that upset me? And I would and I would connect some dots. And I would learn a lot about myself. And I think everyone should do this. I did this today with uh, someone was telling a story about me. And it made me upset. And I it hurt my feelings. And it bothered me. And afterwards, as I was like calming down, cool, relax, you know, settling down, I was asking myself, why did it hurt? And I replayed his story in my head the way he told it. And there are parts of his story that hurt more than other parts. I was like, boom, that right, that spot right there, that detail. When he said that I seemed crazy, when he said that the audience felt bad, like the, 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 like the audience could tell. He said that my anger spilled over. He said that I looked like someone who is just a little bit off, like someone who's trying to keep it together but can't. It was right. all those words, and the uh, they were spread out through the story. But like those are the words that hit me. And so then I, I could when I saw, I was like, all right, well, these are the parts that hurt the most. So I think that's what's making me really mad. So well, let's focus on this. Why did those hurt? And then I immediately had an answer. It was because I didn't want to be crazy, you know? I think that I knew that I I was a little bit and I was trying to hide it and I don't think I ever got credit from people in that time in my life for all the work I was doing to keep it together. I hate being so transparent that like everyone could see that I'm having a rough time. I hated it because about that time was when Tabitha was making a case uh, that that sh- to, for full custody, then it was based on the fact that I was crazy. She told me all the time about how I was too emotional. She like you know this was after I had cried in front of her, and she was like, "That's it, I'm gonna take your son away and stuff." So I was like, all those things that he said touched on those those uh, feelings from my divorce, and so I was like, "Oh, okay, that's why I got so mad." And like now, I, I that I immediately feel better about that, and I immediately can go like, oh, okay, that's it. So like, I don't know if I ever had anything. It's like a deep, like what you, you know, like where you like really traced it back or whatever. But well, I would follow it back to like the last, the last big event, and then uh, when I'm talking like a deep trigger, like a like a something that's causing a lot of pain or anxiety, I don't get. On smaller things, um, I do think a lot about self-worth. Oh, I would love to talk about self-worth as well. Um, Let's do it in this episode, for sure. I don't... I do analyze a lot of things when it that are contradictory. Like, we've talked recently about why I... Uh, why I have, like, comedy dysmorphia and why I feel like my sets have gone worse than they have why i'm so hypercritical of my own stand-up why every set has to be absolutely uproarious laughter at every single line otherwise i feel like it was a complete failure yeah man why don't i'm they not give like you, that in life why don't they give you a standing ovation after every punchline that's what i don't understand that's how i know i'm a failure and it's weird because if i feel like i have done well i'm fine like if I feel like I did my thing and they didn't laugh at everything, I'm fine. But it's easy for me to feel like I didn't. Like I fucked up and mm-hmm. that's why it didn't go well. But that's not how I am in life. I'm not like that in any other area of my life. I'm far more, uh, I think, I'm far more. So I spend a lot of time analyzing what does this represent? What does stand-up represent for me? Do I have this thing where I feel like I am uh, chasing the approval of others? Because I don't really think I'm like that. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about those type of things. But when there's like a deep emotional trigger, I often will just follow it back to the last big event and recently have been like, was there something before that? Is there some, when is the last time I felt this way? And kind of just ride that back, that feeling back. And I've gotten into a lot of 
of childhood things. And then I try to consolidate, consolidate that feeling, simplify that feeling until you get to like the most base in one sentence, in one word, what is the pain? And I, I don't even, not to compare everything to a computer, but it really just does feel like programming. Nah, do it, man. This is why we're telling you all to watch Maniac. Uh, this is this is the Maniac is everything we love to talk about. But that's uh, the premise of the show is a guy that wants to like create like a pill that will just like be therapy for you, right? And it's about uh, like fixing all of your trauma. And in order to do that. They have to get in your head, find your trauma, map it out, figure out what its defenses are, and and then create a plan. And that's like his whole and uh, and then Jonah and Emma are like subjects in that uh, test trial for these pills or whatever. And it's so cool. You and there is a lot of computer imagery in it. The you know they compare our minds to computers the whole time. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think when I uh, well, I tried to invent something called virtual reality therapy when I very first died and came back. Are you? That's what maniac is. Yeah, you, you tried to invent that it. I uh, my theory was that if you could go back to people's memories where they were a victim and change it to where they weren't a victim. If you could go back and change people's trauma, change their memory of the trauma, I thought that it would just automatically heal them and they would become functioning people. And unfortunately, as a tweaker, I was not able to, to secure the funding for this project. And I also don't know anything about how science works. But the idea of how it would work, though, was different because I, I felt like it would be color and light would trigger... Uh, this change in your programming, which still doesn't fully make sense to me, but I have started listening to bin- binaural beats. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Yeah, okay, by now, by Um, but it was the same exact uh, kind of idea, which is go in and take these experiences and change them. And now. I think you can just go in, identify the programming that happened as a result of that experience and remove it. Absolutely. Which is very computerish, but that's a lot of what I've always done to control my mind. Can you go back real fast and explain to me what those beats are? I don't fully understand it. It's just a frequencies. Uh, like brainwaves. So there was like brainwave stuff I listened to back in like 2000. You could find uh, theta, whatever, delta brainwaves, and you could just listen to the frequencies. Mm-hmm. And when I would listen to them and watch screensavers on Winamp, <laughs> I was like, this is what virtual reality therapy will be. Um, and so from what I understand about beats, it's like there's a, the frequency it plays that is supposed to make changes in your body. Like it's supposed to make you relax. Yeah. Or this one makes you something helps, else. Or makes this, you motivated. This one helps with anxiety. And it this just plays a, it just plays a tone. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yep. They sound cooler. But some of them, then, like I've then, put on them for it sounded cooler than that. Yeah. <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> so uh there used to be something not called binaural beats, but you used to be able to just listen to the the waves. Okay. Hopefully someone who listens to this podcast knows what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, and will send me information on it. Also, if anyone knows uh, what a win amp is, uh, I just laughed because uh, it felt like it was time to laugh. Oh my God, it was a program. It was a music program on way back before Windows? your day, I guess. Yeah, Windows. Win amp. And it played these like screensaver, like moving light things at the same time that the music played, but you could get, they were called skins or something. You could get a bunch of them. And there was something about that that reminded me of traveling through the galaxy and that what it sounded like traveling through the galaxy sounded like those binaural beats. Also from what I know about uh, uh, EMDR therapy, from what I read, like the, the movement of your eyes watching the screensaver 
Yeah, I feel like you probably invented virtual reality therapy. Just yeah. the that's cool, Jess. That's I, so cool, dude. You guys, I, we can't give away any spoilers, but uh, it's it's so crazy that uh, I am so mad that they stole all of our ideas. And, <laughs> and but like I'm in awe, you know. I just that show was so good. It's the same guy who made True Detective season one, and I'm just in awe. I just can't believe how good he is. I want to be able to make art that is that good and that meaningful and that provocative. It's it's good stuff. It is very good. Mm, mm. So, Jessa, will you take us through your recent discoveries that took you to Jessica? If you could think of things like we were, I know we were just touching on this last week, I guess. Um, as, as we talked about the pain that I caused you, uh, or that, you know, came about whatever, but how did that, yeah, I don't want to make it about relationship stuff. So it's just important to note. Uh, and I hope that everyone's hearing through the relationship stuff, what, what the actual message is here. Um, but Aaron has been the primary trigger of things through this process. So the first thing that I noticed... is just like a vehicle. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like whatever. Yeah. First quote we did. Um, the first thing that I noticed that led me back to childhood, I think, was uh, you would come close and go away and whatever. In, in the going away, I would exhibit behaviors that are very not Jessa-like. But... The first one was I would I would start to constantly take your temperature. I would message you not not to say what a whatever I was saying. I would send you a screenshot of something uh, in my feed or or say something or ask a question purely to to listen to your tone. Uh huh. You got annoyed with it, I think, and I think you being annoyed made me had to made me have to examine or maybe I was just examining because I was acting so out of character but I followed that feeling back and I followed that back to memories of being a kid this is something that I knew about myself but I hadn't thought about in two decades when I was a kid I talked constantly and I wasn't talking constantly because I wanted to be heard I was talking constantly because if the adults around me weren't communicating with me, I couldn't tell, I felt like they were mad at me. If people were silent, I was positive they were mad at me and didn't want me there. And so I would talk, I would engage them in conversation and then be able to take their temperature and I would be able to tell from, and I'm talking six, seven years old, I would be able to tell from the inflection in their voice whether or not I was safe and okay to be where I was at. And that was the first thing that led me back to childhood with you, I think, was the moment that I realized that I was doing that. I then told you I was doing that. But then it was a huge discovery for me because I was like, wow, I forgot that about my childhood. Also, uh, why am I doing that with you? And at the time, I think I was still focusing uh, more towards you and hadn't realized like how much you were just this mirror of childhood stuff to bring me back to that place. The next big one was when I uh, kind of attacked you after you had taken a break and you came back, but I was already in the rafter. I was already like on attack mode. And so I hurt you. And then I wouldn't relent when you were like uh, apologetic or whatever. I wouldn't relent. I just kept pushing. And then once you said, I don't feel safe with you, that made me sad, obviously, because one of the things that you had said about me was that you felt safe with me. But it haunted me for weeks following. And I like it would play in the back of my head. And I was like, what is that? And so I was driving from Portland to LA. So I had all this time to think. And I went back to like, when have I felt like this before? Because this feels familiar. And it's so crazy how a sensation or like a song or a smell can use you, can transport you back. And it took me back to the boyfriend who had killed himself and the end of our relationship. And I, I played with that quite a bit and was like, what about that is 
triggering and I I played the narrative of that. Why did I hurt him? Well, I hurt him because he brought me here and left me. That's the way I felt about that love. I fell, I fell very hard in love with him fast. The connection was insane in it for both of us. It was immediate, like 24 hours in, we were like, what the fuck is this? And then he left me. It was always the narrative that he stayed with me. We stayed together uh, as road dogs, at least for three years. But he checked out and was playing this video game 24-7. And then it just turned into this uh, fight within myself because everyone else wanted to hang out with me. But I was just staring at the back of this dude's head and I I felt abandoned. And so the narrative was always that he brought me here and then left me. And I did a lot of really hurtful things to him. The relationship got extremely toxic and he did a lot of hurtful things to me too. But the narrative was that he brought me here and left me. And then I ended up, he did something awful to me. And then I let my boyfriend beat him up. My new boyfriend beat him up where before that I had fiercely defended him, even when he had done awful things to me. And the day that he was getting beat up, he cried. She's my best friend. I would never hurt her. And I remember not stopping it. I remember getting very cold in that moment. And I thought, that's all you did was hurt me. You brought me here and left me. And I think I barely got vulnerable with him. And I think I barely started to open up. And then he started playing a video game. And I'm very attracted to obstinate men. It's a extremely attractive personality trait. And I didn't know then what I know now about dealing with this personality trait that I am attracted to, which is don't try to push an obstinate man into doing anything. He's just going to get obstinate. And I didn't know that back then. I was also high on meth. And so uh, suddenly I'm looking at this experience, this life experience of this person who I felt like hurt me very much in a new lens. And I'm like, maybe he just got a video game and was into it. And then you were immediately a huge bitch about it. And then you pushed him further into that video game and he ran away and he didn't though. Cause he stayed next to you for the next three years. I did. I kicked him out. I kicked him out on the street and then I stared at the sun until I went blind and realized I have no actual friends. Cause when you're blind, no one gives a fuck about you. And he came and found me. <laughs> Sorry to all of our blind listeners. <laughs> When but it's time you blind. heard the truth. Sorry, when you're new blind. Uh, <laughs> when you're freshly blind. I healed from that experience with that. I rode that, that wave back and suddenly looked at that life experience through new eyes and thought, what if my defense mechanism showed up? I call her my, uh, what do I call her? My Attach Aubrey Jessa? Plaza. Aubrey Plaza from uh, from Legion. Yeah, who just showed up and was like, "Are you gonna let this motherfucker treat you like this?" And then I just I facilitated this relationship turning extremely toxic fast because I was so fast to defend myself. It was it was a month of ecstasy in this love, and then he he checked out, and then I went nuts. And then you had one good month, and you were together three years. Mm-hmm. Wow, we were a. T- there was a, a huge, uh, we were obviously some type of soulmates that were supposed to spend time together and learn from each other because um, there was no escaping each other. We felt incomplete without each other, but there were many awful breakups and many uh. horrible things and a lot of violence that happened in there. And there was a very brother and sister vibe to us. But there was one month where we just stared into each other's eyes and talked for 12, 13 hours a day. And then he got this video game and then all of a sudden it was, was it like, Red hey, Dead Redemption hey, Two? It was Diablo Two. And if I hear <laughs> the theme song to that, I get. If someone says something about my boyfriend playing video games, it's very triggering to me. Uh, really, video games. Period. Their boyfriend. If someone just says my boyfriend video games or any any like because now it's a trope, you know, of uh, men playing video games while their girlfriends are trying to fuck and stuff. It's shit's all extremely triggering to me. Ooh. I also have a huge. Uh, multiple relationship long triggering thing I found about uh, my significant other jerking off to porn that and I mean not being included in it but mm-hmm. me, but it but it's uh, 
obviously Dustin, I was taught in the church that that was Dustin, uh, being forced to sin because you weren't being a good, because enough I wife. wasn't good enough. I, yeah, I remember it. So like I, you got real upset a couple times when I jerked off and yeah. then you talked to me about it later and you're like, so here's the thing. And then you told me all this stuff about Dustin. Yeah. So is that an example of you? following That's, the that's me following the roadmap because, uh, I thought the first time it happened, I thought, Oh, maybe I just want to have sex. And this just means we're not going to have sex, which it doesn't mean that with you at all. But with Dustin, Dustin had a 12 hour refractory period. So if Dustin came, that was it. I don't know. I like how I just always say his name. <laughs> If he came, that was it. It was done for the day. And I was a teenager. With he couldn't a, have sex again for 12 hours? He could hours? not fuck again for 12 hours. He could fuck forever. But once he came, that was it. And I don't know. Maybe he was just... Uh, that was a mental block. You know, he was raised... You in, tried. That's a long, that's a long, long refractory period. I don't know if we just thought that that's what happens. Because it was kind of in the collective consciousness back then that once you came, it was done. So I don't... It's weird. It's it's a it's a thing that I've thought about a lot because now I, it's a question I ask pretty quick. Like, what's your refractory period? What when is I started, you, a question you ask pretty? I quick? ask men, yeah, pretty. If we're gonna when fuck. you're when you're fucking, or mm-hmm. just, okay. I probably want to fuck more than once, so uh, it takes me a while to get warmed up in like dancing, and a lot of times it's that way for sex. I did, think I don't know. Did I, you ever ask me that question? No, I didn't have to. <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, you mean like, do you ask people after uh, they come? I feel like you, like if you had asked me before we had sex, I would just been like, oh, I don't have one. <laughs> I knew that you didn't come way before we had sex. Just because I, I you told me that at Big Sky because we we made out one yeah, time and I was I'm like, sitting here, I'm energy. sitting here acting like Jessa, you bring that shit up right away, and you're like, <laughs> look, you you met me and you're like, hey, my name's Aaron. I don't, I'm not Mormon anymore, and I can't come. <laughs> like jokingly text you and said, uh, see, energy exchanges are just like sex, only no one comes, and you were like, oh, I've been having energy exchanges the whole time, now. Ah. and I was like, what? And then you were like, oh, yeah. I don't come, and I was like. Yeah. What? I'm gonna I, I'm gonna start saying that's people. Like, hey, baby, <laughs> you want to exchange some energy? I mean, like penile energy. <laughs> Jerking off though, real quick. I uh, the first time I got panicked that I thought you were jerking off in the bathroom. I think, uh, and then compulsively texted you just to let you know because I was asleep. I woke up and you were in my in the bathroom. I think, and I was like. Ugh. Uh, and then I was like, why did I do that? I would just let him finish. And then I thought maybe I just must have wanted to have sex and now I'm afraid I can't have sex. And I went to, I just left, uh, let, you came out of the bathroom clearly frustrated. Yeah, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to jerk off and Facebook Messenger is like popping up over top of the video every, and I'm just like, okay, I guess I have to respond to this. I feel like I was frustrated that time because I was like, why did you keep texting me if you knew what I was doing? During the crazy anxiety weekend, I woke up and ran out of the hotel room while you were in the bathroom. We told, told the story of the panic attack. Uh, so much of the panic, the anxiety and stuff was uh, all of this stuff I was I was facing through the mirror of you. But this, I jumped up out of the room and ran out of the room. Uh, I was frantic that you were jerking off in the bathroom. And then I got out into the hallway and was like... This makes me sound like I jerk off a lot. <laughs> And I just want to say, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so much more than you think. Uh, no, um, but li- also I, me like yeah. uh, to to prevent him from jerking off in the bathroom as if I don't also sneak to the bathroom and jerk all the time. Off, this is, is so why I, this is why I thought it was totally okay to do it. it. Is totally also, okay. the anxiety weekend in San Diego, you were having an awful time. You had gone to sleep and I had finished the podcast and uh, I wanted to jerk off before I fell asleep and I thought it would be polite to go to the bed. Like, it you're was. already asleep. I'm going to get into the bed and just start shaking the whole bed. <laughs> and you wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I sleep better this way. And you're like, I sleep way worse this way. Uh, you know i didn't you were having a tough time i didn't want to wake you up or anything so i was like i'll just sit like 
I'll I'll, I'll banish myself to the cold <laughs> bathroom. I'll get in, I'll get in the tub, you know, I could have, and I'll just have a quiet little jerk off session in here. <laughs> and it was the worst possible thing that I could have done for you. I it, was uh, so- shocked. This, so I followed that back. Uh huh. So. Duh, Dustin would uh, jerk off and it was a uh, said something about his attraction to me and oh, whether or not I it felt like rejection and it meant I couldn't have sex that night. Um, I it was a huge traumatic thing in our marriage. I took it very personal and we had many, many fights about it. Uh, Tom checked out of our sex life and got addicted to porn. Like that's a a legit porn addiction. And I, it was rejection. That's all those is all it was. So we would be trapped in close quarters and he, I would want to have sex and he would instead jerk off to porn Hmm. while I was just sitting there. And so he, he paid, he paid dearly for that because then I would just fuck someone in close quarters. Oh, okay. With him. That's cool. Yeah. I'll just be in the next room fucking someone else loudly and very toxic relationship, but extremely triggering. Just very, it just rejection. Uh, uh, you're not attractive. Uh, you're, uh, I would rather fuck my hands than you like all this very deep rejection shit in both of those relationships one was because religion taught me that and the other was just because this relationship was fucked up in reality it was because he got addicted to, to something even kinkier than i was capable of which says a lot it's dark it's um dark. i was just having a reaction to you doing it and i caught it i caught myself multiple times compulsive like i would act out before i would like be have time to be rational and so i thought the solution to this is to tell him which was very embarrassing it was extremely embarrassing for me to admit and i felt like if i admit it then i will not compulsively try to stop him and if i do compulsively try to stop him he has the tools now to know what it is that i'm doing and there can be uh, whatever so now it's funny because when you go to the bathroom to shit you're just like i'm just shitting yeah. uh but it hasn't been an issue since well yeah well i know at least for me whenever i finally just so sometimes all it takes for me is just to say it out loud and when i find something out like and it and i'm embarrassed to say it like i'm i'm mad i'm upset because uh they pronounced my name wrong on the thing yeah and if i and i I know it's not a big deal but i just feel like i need to tell you that as soon as i say that i don't feel jealous or upset anymore whatever i was feeling so that that makes sense i also think that uh honesty is the best policy i love it when you admit stuff i don't ever i'm never ever looking at you weird because of what like oh you fucking weak clingy person you know it's not like that yeah instead i felt like i could always tell something was off like when you left in San Diego, clearly there was something wrong. And you're just like, oh, I just had a panic attack. And I feel like that's a lie. That's a lie. I can hear that that's a lie. And I play out way worse stuff in my head. Right. About why, you know. And then when you tell me the truth, I always go, ah, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. I want to talk about your your feelings that we were talking about earlier, following them back. Here's the ones, the the thing. ones I followed back to my divorce. Yeah. Yeah. You are very emotionally intelligent. You're very in tune with your feelings. You're very accepting of your son's feelings. And it's very important to you and close to your heart that he be allowed to have his feelings and that you don't shame him for having feelings there. But there's also a shame. I definitely see a shame in you. Um, about your feelings, about having feelings. You seem embarrassed a lot of times after you've had an emotional reaction, you're self-conscious about whether or not you're perceived for being crazy, for being emotional. Yeah. And it just feels deeper than the divorce. Today I raised my, when I was upset, 
and I was pro- in, the, in that process thinking about it, I raised my voice and you went, geez, okay. And I felt really mad that I raised my voice. And I was like, and I felt uh, like mad at you because it was like, she tells me that I, she's told me a hundred times that I am, that I can express my feelings and I can raise my voice that she says all the time. I don't care. You know, so-and-so used to yell at me. Everybody, you know, I don't care about volume at all. And I hear, I, I raise my voice a tiny bit and immediately I'm judged for it and it feels awful and I hate it. And I hate you I'm talking to myself. I hate, uh, how emotional you are. I hate it. And like, I, I had all those thoughts in the drive through of the Starbucks and calm down. I talked myself out of it. And that helped me trace back to that divorce time. You think I should trace it back further? It's definitely a deeper. I can remember being a missionary and lo- being so ashamed that I lost my temper in front of every single mission companion one time, at least. And you can't live, you can't live with someone I couldn't. I don't ever. They never yelled at me. I don't know. So I felt like, what's wrong with me that I can't live with someone twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, for six to eighteen to twenty four weeks without yelling at them one time? I say it like this because I'm trying to let myself off the hook because I do recognize that that's uh, hard. Uh, that of course you're going to fight. But like, I feel like with every single companion and it's just, you really are next to them all the time and you love them, but you get upset with each other. And with every single one, I lost my temper in some way and like yelled at them, uh, or made myself just look like an ass. And those memories eat at me. They are so embarrassing. I hate, I hated them when they happened. When they happened, I was just filled with just red hot shame couldn't believe it i hated it i can't nothing comes to mind right now of of a big of a big event but they're just general generally i know that i wasn't supposed to cry uh in general and we talked in that last episode about how i thought like i I didn't feel safe showing emotion to my parents so i i kept it to myself I can think about getting emotional at school and being embarrassed, man. I remember being like, like fucking anger management shit that I had to do, like because I got mad at people or something in, in elementary school or something, like so, like with the school counselor, you know, right? And sit and, like, you know, and I remember like resenting that, but uh, you know, just re- resenting it because I was embarrassed that I was there, that I uh, was so out of control. That somebody had to teach me how to control my emotions, you know? But. I would have thought that was so cool. To go to anger management class? Yeah, whenever I You would have had like, attention yeah, from an any, adult? Any like, yeah, disciplinary behavioral stuff. It, I loved it. I was like, yeah, look how fucking interesting I am. But here's stuff that, that where I, cu- I run into blocks and the of memory blocks of memory blocks i'm sorry i'm stuttering all over my words but the periphery of this i have these little things that just look like arrows where i i go i know i know that in second grade i tried to like fake kill myself in my classroom of like full of kids so I, I don't I wouldn't don't know if I'd really call it a suicide attempt because I don't think I ever thought it was ever gonna work, but I tried to like choke myself with these uh the string off these eyeglasses that I had uh f- lied to the optometrist to get. Like I had I told my mom I couldn't I, I needed glasses and she took me and I pretended to not be able to read the letters and, so that I could get glasses and I felt so guilty about that. I felt so guilty about lying about those glasses that years later, my dad, we're like in high school or something. We're in a car. We're parked. No, we're not. Cause it's, I remember the house that we're in. So I'm either in like 
sixth grade or seventh grade. Um, we're in this car in the driveway and he says, you did something that shocked me talking about that year in second grade. You did something that completely shocked me. And I said, what? And my dad said, uh, oh, he didn't like want to tell me. And I thought, what, what did I do that could shock you? Shock you. What are you talking about? And all I could think of as I racked my brain was that I lied about needing glasses. And I, and I was like, oh my God, they knew. Because of course I stopped wearing them. By fourth grade, like by, by third grade, I was like not wearing glasses anymore, yeah. you know? So I was like, oh my God, they knew I was lying. And my dad is so shocked that I lied. And I also made him spend hundreds of dollars on glasses I didn't need. And I bet he's so mad at me for that. And oh, I can't. I That's got to be what it is. I made him buy me a Mario glasses case for it too. And he's probably still so mad that I lied. And he said, and that's all going through my head when he says, you really don't remember, do you? And I think if my dad hadn't said that, I today would not be able to recall because I remember sitting in that car in the driveway when it hit me that he's talking about the time I like fake killed myself. Right. That I choked myself out with those, with the the cord from that, from those glasses. And neither of us said anything. I, I remembered what it was and then was immediately filled with shame about that. And also like, why did I forget this? What is a nice uh, preview for the rest of my uh, life dealing with trauma. Why did I forget that? My mind's very good at it, I guess. But so I know that that happened in that, in that second grade, whatever. I also know that when the time I got to third grade, I was in, I can remember going to a vocal coach because I had developed nodules on my uh, vocal cords from screaming too much. I had, so they were trying to teach me to talk in a different pitch of voice so that my vocal cords would hit at a different spot so I'd stop damaging my vocal cords because I had, I had screamed so much that I had developed, you know, the vocal cords are just two muscles that are just hitting into each other yeah. like this. And uh, you can, you know, bruise that. You can hurt it like any other muscle, you know? And yeah. so that I would, had been screaming so much and... I uh, had hurt them. So they're trying to teach me how to do it, right? And so these are the memories that I have. And I know that like that that's part of being shamed for being angry because like if I when I yelled, I got in trouble. My my mom would have to remind me not to yell because I'm not supposed to yell anymore because it's why my voice sounds so froggy uh, because I I've been yelling too much. So like I would get yelled at for yelling. I know that. I know right. that. That's a memory that I have. Here's my question about the goddamn block. What the fuck was I yelling about, mom? Didn't anybody? What the fuck did I kill my try to ki- kill myself over? Why was I lying to get glasses? Why was I so dead? What? What? What was happening? Why didn't you guys ask any questions about why uh, I was suddenly lying, suddenly needing more attention, suddenly uh, trying to kill myself in front of my classmates, and suddenly having temper issues? You know, I felt like they told me over and over again that I had a bad temper. And I feel like a few minutes ago, I couldn't even remember this, but they definitely, I knew as a kid that I had a temper and I told, I told Tabitha when we got together that I had a temper, like that's just a, a, a fact that I knew about myself. That I got a bad temper. Oh, I just thought of another shameful time. I lost my temper in high school at a lacrosse game. Uh, sorry, that was on a tangent. I'll come back to my no, childhood no, no, trauma can't. stuff later. At a, at a lacrosse game that we were winning and we never won. We were the worst team in the whole league, the worst one. And we were winning and we were giving the game. We gave away the game at the end when we just blew it. We blew it and I played defense and like we blew our lead and it was really frustrating. 
and we were all frustrated at the end of that game. But then uh, Drew Callahan came out of goal, like he was the goalie, so he was mad at all the at the how the lead went away, and he wanted to hit one person before the game was over to kind of get that out. And so he comes up to the guy that I'm guarding, and I've got my long pole on him, I've got I've got it on him, and he comes and he hits that dude but he comes from another angle where they they pinch my my stick and they break my stick and then and then the game ends so like we lost and my stick broke and i was so fucking pissed and i was pissed at drew that he fucking did it i was pissed at how much money i spent on that stick like i had bought that stick that season i was excited and i like just threw off i like first of all i threw the stick i threw the stick I threw off my helmet and my gloves as I'm walking towards the stick. I finally, like, I'm like throwing all this stuff off, like a gladiator coming out of the ring. And I pick the stick back up, and it's, I'm at the end zone because we're like on the football field. And against the goalpost, I take the stick and I just start breaking it more because uh, it's a six foot pole stick. Right. And I'm just whacking it against this pole and just breaking it more. And this is at my school. My friends are in the stands. My coach, my teammates, I'm having this meltdown. And when I, my, my coach scolded me for it. And like my, I, I was so embarrassed. And then like Drew and like other people, like other lacrosse team would bring up that moment, like later would retell the story. Shame. Shame. I was like, I can't believe I did my let my temper get the better of me. Everyone saw what a big temper I have now. Everyone knows what a terrible temper I have, how I can't control my emotions. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. Everyone in the stands that has no idea that like wh- why I felt so mad about being misunderstood. Like everyone just thought that like I was like no one really knew that I was mad at my stick being broken. They just thought I was a poor sport. Ooh, follow that. They thought I was a poor sport that I just lost the game. But it wasn't just that. It was that we lose every game. And it was that we lose every game and we this was when we were going to win and my stick broke and I'm poor and I and I had to work so hard to buy this shit and I feel like all my friends get stuff bought for them by their parents and I got to do like I felt like all this stuff and no one knows why I'm really upset they just think that I'm a a big baby so what was it that I was so upset about that no when I was a kid and like there was something that I was so upset about and everybody shamed me for thinking I was just being like throwing a temper tantrum over nothing, right? There's something that I was upset about and people treated it like it was something else. And I think, man, what a helpful exercise is this roadmap thing. Yeah. Are you, are you a therapist? (laughs) Jesus Christ. This is like thrilling right now. The little pieces that I'm putting together. I'm like, Oh my God, it's fun. Uh, I don't know if we've ever compared these two things before, but I also lied to get. Yeah, we have talked about okay. that. I feel like we uh, talked Did about we talk about So as soon as I start getting the glasses, glasses is what she was going to say, right? You lied to get glasses, yeah. but they, they knew you My were lying. My mom knew yeah, I was a yeah. liar. So on the way there, she was like, uh, by the way, they have a machine that will beep. If you lie. If you lie. And so I probably... Uh, your okay. mom was probably just broker than my mom and it was yeah, just like, just I can't afford to, to indulge this. Bullshit, yeah. <laughs> so, my parents had to have known that I was lying. Within months of getting molested, starting to get molested, I flew back to Delaware and uh, spent the entire two-week Christmas vacation pretending to be a dog and wouldn't talk like a person, just pretended to be a dog. I uh, once spent an entire school week, Monday through Thursday, I think it was, running across the uh, flat area in the playground into a pole and cracking the same spot of my head open. Jesus. And then I did it again on Tuesday and I did it again on Wednesday. On Thursday, they called my mom in and they were like, by now the lump is gigantic and they were like, she needs, uh, probably has a concussion and needs to go uh, get, but it was all for like a strong drive for attention. And for a long time, I just thought of myself as someone who needed attention. And now I realize I was screaming for help. Something's happening to me. Someone please pay attention. Something's happening to me. Uh, But I didn't think of it that way. I just thought this will make them, this will show them, this will make them look 
uh, yeah. so they pay attention to me. This uh, will, that resonates. Will, yeah, everyone will talk about me. And it's only just re- just now in this conversation that's, that I'm like, I, that's, that's why I was so hungry for attention. I always thought I was hungry for attention because I was uh, neglected and I was a star that uh, needed an audience. That's what everyone said about me, needed an audience. But now I realize like the death. I needed a police officer. I have kids and they don't do any of this weird shit. They're weird. They're kid weird. There is none of this stuff. There is yeah. none of this dark, alarming uh, temper. I think I thought that exact same thought when I did the... I don't think I was going to kill myself. I don't think I wanted to, but I think I wanted to show them. Yeah. This is serious. This will And this will do it. Now they'll know. All now through my know teen I was, years. I wasn't now making know. it up. Mm-hmm. Now they'll know. The thought of not being believed, I was just watching Goosebumps. Do you guys, do you guys remember Goosebumps? It was on He's TV so when I'd come home from school. I did not like it. I thought it was scary. I thought it was very, very scary. For a long time, I thought I didn't like horror because I couldn't even stand to watch Goosebumps, and all my friends were watching Goosebumps. And I now Ethan loves horror. He loves scary stuff. Showed him Jaws. He loved it. He asked to watch it again the next day because he said, I love all the blood in the ocean. And I was like, you're a scary kid. So I was like, Ethan will like Goosebumps. And I bet when I watch it as an adult, it won't be nearly as scary. Wrong. That shit is still, why was that show on TV and for kids? That is a scary show. But you know what the scariest thing to me was? Were, were kids that were not believed, which is like every episode of Goosebumps. There's, the, there's some kid is like, mom, I saw the librarian is a monster. And the mom and dad are like, oh, you have an active imagination. There was one that was about a camp that like you were just like you went to that summer camp and then you never got to go home. You never oh got to go God. home. And like I just he was trying to tell other people at the camp and then he found out that like, oh, every single camp counselor here is in on it. And like that was terrifying thought to me. That you could be in a place where all of the authority of figure figures were conspiring against you and none of them or like or that none of the you could go home and tell people and none of the authority figures would believe you. Hmm. And as I was watching it with Ethan, I was remembering that this was the scary part. This was the part that I hated. And I followed that roadmap yeah and i thought again about an arrow pointing at this thing that i don't know what it is is a giant question mark where i go okay what happened i mean maybe i'm overreacting because i do think that's a common fear like kids just don't get listened to to you know like parents brush them off about lots of different things but sometimes it's for good reason or whatever so maybe there's nothing but I feel like is it there's triggering something. in a deep way? It is. It is it's then triggering it's in a deep way. What was it that I told that someone didn't believe? Maybe I never even told it. Maybe I was afraid that I wouldn't be believed. Right. That's and that's all. That's all. That yeah. Fuck. Pain is a roadmap. Don't, 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 don't. This will be stuck in your head. <laughs> down, down, for the rest of the day. <laughs> we like having you guys as our fans. Thanks for being here. And. Mormon and the meth head. Okay, bye. <laughs> If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all and just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Mormon and the meth head, Mormon and the meth head, Mormon and the meth Pain is a road map. Dun, 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 dun. It's a good show!